Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Service Radio. <laughs> I love the music. I always love the opening music because I feel like one, I'm going on like a spaceship launch. I'm floating through the moon, and then finally I get to like the planet I'm going to, and there's like a fucking bomb ass disco on that planet. I, yeah, I'm down. It took me a second to realize that you were like wincing over it. I was like, <laughs> I, was like I think there's something wrong with the feedback. <laughs> feedback, feedback. Greetings, everyone. Welcome. Hello, hello, hello. This is the Beauty Archeo. I am your host, Professor Noir, and we are here broadcasting live from the Line Hotel here in Washington, D.C. Monday, our, um, our, get, our, uh, pr- our new professor, she's actually away right now doing some fabulous creative work in Fire Island for this weekend. So it's creating this huge event that they do every year, apparently. There's like sponsors. There's always a liquor sponsor. I don't think it's absolute, but you know they're always down to sponsor something. Um, but it's supposed to be really fun. It's supposed to be super queer. I was going to go. I can't afford it. But one day I will be able to just afford a random trip to Fire Island at the drop of a hat. However, <laughs> I am here teaching class and teaching the kids and educating them. And we have a very special guest. She has been here before a couple of times, and we always love having her. She is a wonderful life expert on so many different aspects of beauty and culture um miss anna latour hey what's up how are you i'm good you're good move thanks up, for having me move up oh, a little bit, move up yeah, a little bit. Yeah, should, just I, be here should with I start us. screaming into it don't you don't have to scream no, you, I, you I, have, I kind of always am screaming you do i don't scream. really have an inside voice this is funny because this is actually i think your inside voice i think when you have a microphone in front of you then maybe well, you... i get nervous that it's, that it's too loud <laughs> She is a screamer. Um, she's one of my dearest babies. We perform a lot together. If you haven't seen Anna Latour, she is a star of the cast, of, one of the stars of the cast of Gay Bash, a very popular show in D.C., a drag show, and actually one of the most popular drag shows, I think, on the East Coast at this point. Like, it's getting there. The reputation's getting there. She don't want to say nothing, but she's, like, cheesing so hard with this beautifully drawn lip she has on right now. I just, no, I, I feel like, I don't know, it's a little... Tooting my own horn, I guess. But you guys, I mean, like, Donna Slash created Gay Bash years ago. I think, what, six years ago? No, it was closer to... Eight? Eight. Eight or nine years. Eight or ago. nine years yeah, ago at the Black at, Cat, at the Black Cat, and it's all and it was a sleepy show, not like sleepy in terms of talent, but people just were sleeping on it. Yeah, and then it started to grow and grow and grow, and there was like a small culture growing around it, and the type of drag that it was it was very rebe- it's very rebellious, very punk drag, and then moved to trade, which is what top two. The second rated gay bar in the country. Top or second top best gay bar in the country. Yeah, second 15 year. 15 in the world, I think. 15 in the world, second year in the row, I think, having this title and like the home to our 
you know, drag cult that we have. And Gay Bash moved there, and it blew, just blew up even more. And so it really is a cultural fix. Um, so Anna performs in that after all the explanation. <laughs> yeah. I sometimes take my clothes off. Sometimes. That's what I do. Swing your hair around. Yeah. Constant joke is someone forgot to tell Anna that this is not a strip club. So, uh, someone forgot to, but <laughs> I don't think she'll ever listen to that. <laughs> I think I've been told. I think I just selective hearing. You, I, you usually have selective hearing. It's a thing. Ooh, closet clean time. Okay. Let's let out the feelings. <laughs> I've shut those off. Yo, don't. Oh, turn them back on. Turn that beautiful heart back on. Oh, my God. One, I just want to talk about what you're wearing. So, usually, I dress up for my show. I... You dress up for everything. I dress up for everything. <laughs> this is the most casual outfit you've ever seen me in right now. I know. I walked out. I, we live together. <laughs> I walked into the living room and said, is that what you're wearing? Yeah, like, no one's ever said that to me. Like, like, and then I heard it, and I was like, oh, (laughs) that sounded really bitchy. But it's also very true. So I'm, like, wearing, like, a gray... It's a rag and bone t-shirt. No, you look cute. Yeah, I'm wearing a gray, like, rag and bone, like, Heather Gray rag and bone t-shirt. And then these gray, like, really tight, small shorts that used to be the bottom half of my American Apparel romper, and I cut that in half because you know I love cutting things. You love to cut your clothes up. I love to cut my clothes up. And so I cut that in half because I was like, this would be better as a two-piece. Um, <laughs> as most things are. As most things are. And so I'm wearing the shorts and Some white... leather, leather Converse. White leather Converse, which I love. These are like yeah. the only real sneakers I own. I love them. I love these. They're my babies. And, and then um, a bunch of diamond jewelry with this like... <laughs> I mean, diamond tennis this necklace. like athletic wear outfit. <laughs> you're that bitch. Because I wear tennis bracelets when I have to work out. Sorry. I'm always wearing jewelry. I have my bedtime jewelry, I have my daytime jewelry, I have my morning when I wake up. You have jewelry. the jewelry that just is on display in the house, just jewelry, as decoration. I have jewelry that's just laid around all over the house on decoration. I have boxes, glass boxes of jewelry everywhere. It's so ridiculous. <laughs> I really love jewels. I just think that jewels should be everywhere. Yes. Um, and then, but this bitch is over here wearing one of the most fierce bang ever. And I've been wearing it. This is your bang. Yeah. This is your hair. Your bangs are your thing. Um, if you've ever seen her prepare. Or if you ever get a chance, you should video this one day. Like, how I do my bangs. How you do your bangs, because it is precise. Yeah, you got to make sure that like that shimmer, like the, the shine the line. Sheen, the sheen line is like, is like perfect. perfectly curved. It's the perfect T, perfectly curved. Like, it really is. Like, it looks like... <laughs> they don't move. You look like a cartoon character. <laughs> like, I kind of do. These bangs are like serious. I look like a drawing of Betty Page. Like, I mean, well, there was that Betty Page argument last yeah. night. <laughs> Someone said that you looked like Violet Chachki. Oh my god, I was so drunk and such a bitch, that guy. But that was okay, though. But it was really funny. Well, that's like when people come <laughs> I up forgot to- about that until Yeah, today. like, that's when people come up to me and they're just like, oh, like, you remind me of Miss J. And I'm just like, no, I don't. Like, I've yeah. met Miss J. We're two different people. She's an amazing person, but please don't ever say that. Yeah. Or when people say that I look like Big Frida, that really pisses me the fuck off because I don't look like fucking Big Frida. I have no beef with Big Frida because I think I would she's like to clarify amazing. for everyone who cannot see what... <laughs> Pussy Noir looks like. She does not look like, like Big, Big Frida. Frida. <laughs> like, at all. I look like Barbara, Barbara Because I Barnes. think they're crea- you're creating this really strange, mysterious, Serious. like, visual about yourself. Yeah, I'm just like, I think that's the only black gay person you've seen, and <laughs> you need to get on an Instagram. Like... You need to search for something or different. Or just walk out of your house. Just walk out of your house. Well, speaking of fashion moments, you were at a concert last night. Yes, I went and saw Drab Majesty at Union Stage down at the wharf last night. And Drab Majesty is? Um, there's just this like super awesome like electronica goth band. Um, 
Just super fun, like synthy eighties kind of vibe. I like um, that. Yeah, I it's like, really cute. I like synthy eighties. But it was so much fun because I love going to the goth shows with uh, Donna, who always like takes me and like exposes me to all of that world. You're always exposed. Yeah, um, because since there's not really like a goth club culture anymore, uh-huh. um, it becomes such like a pageant. And, like, such a fashion show for all the goth girls to, like, come out in, like, the most fierce-ass looks. And it's really it's really fun to see some of these, you know, women who aren't, like, 18 or 19 that are, yeah. like, out here experimenting with fashion and being really excited about kind of, like, stepping outside the box and being kooky. And um, it's really fun. There was this woman, she was in this, like, gorgeous silk, you know, bodycon dress with, like, mm. diamond chains like holding it to her body that was like oh yeah printed like a rococo like ceiling um and she had this fierce ass blonde ponytail and like a diamond choker and then she was wearing like thigh high patent leather fetish boots mm. she like ran up to us and was like you guys look like you're going to the concert and i was like girl where are you going <laughs> because i want to go wherever the fuck you're going and uh, no she was amazing she had to maybe been in her late late 30s early 40s and it's, it's just so much fun to see women like just not adhering to the like dress your age kind of a thing like dress however the fuck you want exactly um, exactly i totally feel you you're never too old as a woman to to like play with your looks and have fun and and dress in an exciting way that makes you feel you know super fierce and there was so much of that last night so much like crazy graphic liners and like big hair and like Ooh, some, like, like how the, big like how big hair like just like teased out crazy hair there was so much like bizarre even the men had like some of the craziest haircuts i've ever seen this one guy had the whole back of his head shaved bald and then a pompadour going sideways across the front. It was, sounds really, it was the strangest haircut I've ever seen, but I was like, I'm into that though. I was like, I believe it. You're selling it. I want it. Was he cute? No, he had, jug- <laughs> he had, ju- he had juggalo shorts on, but, <laughs> but the hair, but it's a look. The, but it's a look. The experimenting with the hair was really fun. And if you're listening to this, which I doubt you are, um, I think that you're incredible. I just hated the shorts. I couldn't, I couldn't tell if they were big shorts or small pants. <laughs> That's all I, I was. I hated it. I actually, you know what's like, we are a fashion history comedy podcast here, okay? So we talk about history, we talk about fashion, and we keep it real funny. Yeah. But I do want to make a statement <laughs> on these shorts that men wear sometimes that I'm sorry, men, if you were wearing like big shorts that go past your calf, those are, a, that is a short palazzo. That is not shorts anymore. That is called a high water palazzo. And you, in fact, look short. And I don't yeah, think I mean, you, it I don't shortens think the legs so much. Yeah, I don't the think pants under- as wide as the waistband. Exactly. I don't think you understand how shorts works. It's not a pair of pants that makes you look short, actually. It's a shorter pair of pants. Okay, so I want you to really think about that. And please, um, get rid of those. And if you have any questions, any concerns, you can message me. You can slide into my DMs at the Beauty RKO. And I'll, I'll help you find those shorts. But no longer are we going to wear those short pants, okay? Yeah, you have a lot of commentary on men's, on men's pants. It's men's a- pants, men's shorts, men's jeans. <laughs> the jeans. Oh, the jeans. Oh, I, but the thing is, too, is like, I again, like I come from that historical background a lot. Yeah. And so like back in the Elizabethan period, during the Tudor period even, like going back to that point, 
um, the idea of hobbies and exercise and outdoor activities became very fashionable with the elite. Yeah. And so being outside was very, Henry VIII was all about exercising and showing off the legs and showing off the physique. And so the men's legs became a symbol of like your virility. It was the erogenous zone. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I'm all about men. If you have great legs, show off the fucking legs. Who doesn't like a good pair of legs? I love it. I mean, like, clearly I do because nothing I, everything I own either is like super tight and long on my legs and creates a silhouette. Yeah. Or it's like ridiculously short and it's just all skin. Yeah. Or that one pair of pants you have that you need stilts to wear because they're so long. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I have these like striped, like chiffon rayon pants. They're amazing. And I will, I refuse to hem them. And believe me, I've almost broken my neck at least seven times. And I've only worn them twice. They're so gorgeous. They're so gorgeous, though. But they're so long and they make my legs look like 10 miles long. Yeah. And I refuse to hem them. I'm not going to fucking do it. Ooh, also on the closet clean, something really interesting is happening. Um, a movie that has been in the making and in discussion for, I mean, for years at this point. Hold on, let me get to the, let me get to the link here. Oh, it's not doing it because that's technology free. I'm just going to tell you about the movie while I link it. Um, but a movie that's been like in like talks and in production for a long time, and people have discussed it for years, many, many years, in fact, um, is the new Harriet Tubman movie that's coming out. Which I'm super pumped about. Yeah. You know, I love a, a biopic. A biopic. I, hear, I hear a lot of people say biopic, which I fucking hate. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it sounds like a medical procedure that I don't, <laughs> don't want to have. Um, I'm sorry. Can I get my biopic really quickly? Yeah. Sounds like something you do to a mole or something. Ooh, that so, sounds gross. But I, I love a biopic. I think they're, it's such a fun way to present history. I do, too. I do, too. I'm really into it. Like, I... I'm really excited for this entire thing. It's going to yeah. be really amazing. I saw the trailer for it recently. Um, it's set to release November of this year. And oh, wow. Well, yeah. So one of the great things I loved about it is that there's really a lot of details in there that we don't talk about with Harriet Tubman. We tend to glaze over her life. She was a child. She was a slave. Now she freed slaves as an older woman. Um, I've talked about this before, but there's a photo of Harriet Tubman in the African American History Museum, part of an exhibition of her in her like early 40s, late 30s, very well dressed in this beautifully tailored, beautifully made dress, clearly showing that she was a woman of means at this point yeah. um, after she escaped. And she did own land. And the abolitionist movement was a very well, heavily funded movement to move hundreds of people out of bondage and out of a system in, like that took over this country. Yeah. And so... Um, this movie actually does show that it looks like in the trailer. That's awesome. Um, it shows Harriet Tubman working with the union officers to free slaves and to, um, burn down and destroy major plantations, which is one of the first, I think if not the first, um, military operation during the civil war was created by Harriet Tubman. Yeah. And that was to go down into these plantations in the South. Which is such an amazing thing to like think about is it's it's not some like yeah a lot of it is like renegade kind of like guerrilla style but it's interesting to think that a military operation something organized by uh and and working with the government was led by like a black woman in that time exactly. and not just like her running around exactly like an actual military operation that's being run exactly exactly and so you know, it's, it's interesting that this movie looks like they're going to actually finally acknowledge it. 
And I'm excited to see like what happens, frankly. I do want to see this movie. Yeah. I mean, I think it might be something I do want to see in the theaters. So we'll see. You never go to the theaters. I never go to the theaters. I never go to the theaters anymore. I do tend to watch things on at home online, you know. I just never go to the theaters. Well, I just like to do my nails and smoke cigarettes and everything like that. I think you should smoke a cigarette in the movie theater. I, watch me. Watch me. And do my nails. It's going to be smelling all kinds of fucked up. That with the popcorn and, like, the smell of stale soda on the floor. That is, I, they're definitely going to kick me out. Like, just like you know right now, they're definitely going to kick me out. Well, everyone, we are going to take a small break. We're going to come back, and class is going to be in session, so whip out your notepads, because we are going to talk about crazy beauty in the 18th century. song here is called Agua by Tony Quattro. Be right back. All right, we are back. How you feeling, Anna? Like shit. (laughs) Where did that come from? I just thought it would be a funny jarring response. Damn, we were literally so happy just now. <laughs> it was for humor. For humor. It was for the funny effect. It was for the funny effect. People call that comedy for this fashion history comedy podcast. The Beauty Archeo. I, I did my research. You did. <laughs> I prepared for this. You, you sat up all night writing that joke. I, I wrote one joke for this comedy special. Like so many like just balls of paper piled up over the trash can. Ah, I just can't get it right. <laughs> all right, people. The, t- the title of this episode. I can't even stop. The title of this episode today it's the Powder Puff Kids. Makeup and beauty in the 18th century. Spooky. I don't know why I always do that. Like, it's actually spooky. Yeah. I was like, oh. I don't know. This makeup was actually quite spooky. Yeah. So you, as a nightlife performer, as I call you a makeup guru, because you really are a makeup guru. Thank you. You are a non-commercial, non-fame-seeking whore makeup guru. Yeah, makeup guru minus the influencer. Yeah, because you well, because you're actually a makeup guru. You're not an influencer. You're not trying to influence people to do certain things. You like to teach people what works for their face. When they ask you, you give that information. The brain switches on and like it's on. Yeah. Um. You also paint yourself like clown white. So. My fear is when she takes off her foundation, it's a completely different, like, lighter shade than her actual skin. Yeah, I paint really pale. She paints really pale. She highlights in fluorescence. It's, it's quite amazing. It's quite amazing. So, 
Um, just as fashion changes, uh, so do styles and hairstyles. In the second half of the 18th century, it was an era particularly identified with hair and makeup. As, the, as these things became such potent symbols of aristocracy during the Enlightenment and French Revolution, France, to a lesser degree England, were the fashion leaders of this era. And to these countries, this is what we look at when we look at beauty and makeup and in this period. Yeah. So... When, for all of you fashion historian novices out there, if you want to get a sense of what people look like between in the 1700s and through the 1800s, and even at the tail end of the 1600s um, restoration period, what you would want to look at are paintings, which is going to be the most obvious, going to museums and things like that, obviously paintings. But one of the other things are fashion plates. And fashion plates were a very interesting marketing tool back in that period. So in, say, you are super wealthy, and this is 1745, and you are a young person, man or woman, and you want your portrait, and your parents want your portrait painted, because, one, having your portrait painting is like, is like a, a big a symbol, you know. It's yeah. a, it's a statement in like your look and your status, who you are as a person. It shows your likeness, and, it's a, and it allows people to see your likeness for those people who don't get to see you. And it markets and spreads that likeness all around. Um, so you had your portrait painted, and a lot of the times people would have a large portrait painted, and especially if they're at marrying age, um, they would have a smaller one, like like business card, like a business card and they like would, a tinder profile yes and your you know the person that was going around like your parents your mother usually or you know someone who was like your guardian at the time they would go around with this to show prospective mates like yeah or their their person negotiating you know the dowry and things like that their prospective mates like what you look like um, and those are things that were really used by the royalty a lot or very high air, high in the aristocracy because, again, having something painted, even today, is very expensive, very time-consuming. And so a lot of the times, these paintings would display, like, the current fashions. You want to be seen as, like, super in the know, continental, worldly, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, all elements that, that create the symbols of aristocracy. Um, another thing that was created for the masses, for the middle class, were fashion plates. And these were smaller pictures that were printed on printing presses, obviously, because that's how print- printing is done. Uh- <laughs> um, these were smaller pieces that were printed, that were printed and um, sold and passed out throughout the masses and like the, into the public. And these were not necessarily photos of the aristocracy. However, sometimes if you were really famous or if you're kind of an quote-unquote it person, those images would go out to the public because then your style and your aesthetic would be something that was trendy, but just display the fashions of that time. Okay, so... Just super vintage fashion magazines. Pre- basically. So okay. this is like the incar- This is like the first incarnation of the fashion magazine. I love that. This is the I've first- never heard of these. This yeah, is this is the... Well, actually, the funny thing is you've seen them a lot. So those pictures are super highly stylized and colorful. Like, say the ones of, like, women in the 18th century in the 1700s where they're getting their wigs, like, pulled out. And, yeah. like, there's people on ladders. Like, try- those are fashion plates. Oh, work. And some of them would be in color. Some of them would be wood carving. So it'd be black and white wood carving or in color. Okay. And the color ones are like the most valuable because it really showed you what colors were being used. And, you know, you look at period films today and those, the costumes are very highly stylized to that film. Yeah. It's not necessarily about um, being accurate, s- historical. Ac- accurate historical. Because if it was, I mean, some things that 
we never ever see in this in period films. For instance, the idea of um, discovery of um, Africa yeah. um, during the 16 and 1700s and how that had an effect on fashion. So you had different animals being discovered, tigers and zebras and things like that, and they were very exotic. And so at one point for like a season in the late 1700s, zebra skin and tiger stripes was animal print were really popular and people you don't see that and you don't see imagine going to the french court and everyone's in fucking fucking, leopard like fucking leopard looking like goddamn quill de ville you know men are in tiger striped you know like frock coats you know frock coats and like waistcoats that was uh, that would be I can that only would be ma- so kind can you imagine like how but then that's the thing it's just like these places were also so international as well royal courts were very international you yeah. had so many different foreign dignitaries representing their countries there um in different like statuses and different capacities and then as well you had cities that were very culturally diverse these major cities were actually very culturally diverse because again you had these foreign influences yeah so a lot of merchants that were settling there because of trading the mass amounts of trading um you know you know all these kind of economic moves made a difference these political moves made a difference in terms of the landscape yeah. In terms of what was accessible. So fashion plates made fashion trends accessible for people. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It also made beauty trends accessible for people. And so it wasn't really like the first real like cosmetics, like mass use cosmetics that were not are not accredited until like the late 1800s, like the 1890s, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Um, it's the 1890s, but I don't have a specific date because I'm just forgetting things. That's what historians do. Um, but we can look it up. <laughs> um, but you also see the burgeoning rise of the cosmetics industry, especially in France, in the 1700s. So you had this explosion of perfumes, the use of perfumes, because of the trading that was going on with the Middle East. Yeah. And perfumes come from the Middle East. Um, you had this explosion of makeup trends, which are coming from both Northern Africa and the Middle East. And so the use of makeup was just very, very interesting in terms of now it's mar- mass marketed. Yeah. So one of my favorite trends when it comes to... Historical makeup? Historical make. Thank you. Historical makeup is the base of all the makeup, the white powder. Yeah. Um, White powder was completely dangerous back then. They were straight up fucking using lead, um, various forms of like arsenic and poisons in this to pretty much like cake it onto the skin. And they were caking so it on to the skin to create this very porcelain like. Like marble uh, alabaster. Like marble alabaster, Oof. you know, Roman statue kind it's of like skin. It's like all powdery and crusty. And, and as we said last week, where lighter, brighter untouched sun skin un, un, skin untouched by the sun means that you were wealthy that's what people were showing back then yeah um, whether it was real or not so you know what's really interesting too is that i think about how this is achieved um this was a powder mix of like lead um various forms of like chalk like like uh, powders uh talcum powder talcum powder yeah, things like poisonous. that hey charlie he's walking by the window right now i love this window this is always the best wow yeah. you look beautiful listen to the episode home uh, <laughs> um but things like talcum powder which is like not good like we still use talcum powder in things but very very minimally yeah um baby powder has talcum powder in it but this is like 
It's poisonous. Let's put it on the children. Yeah, it's well, I don't use fucking baby powder, girl. Um, so you know, mixing things like that together, and then you're mixing it with a paste um, done in both like. Most of the time, from my understanding, was done with oil, like okay. an olive oil or something, because you didn't really want to use water, um, and the oil allowed it to spread easier. Yeah. Also, then it wouldn't dry up and flake off. It didn't dry up and would, flake yeah, off. Yeah, it would keep kind of. Uh, it would keep it still moisturized and powdery and all that good stuff. And all of a sudden, it got really dark in here. I thought yeah, it was like Independence Day. Um, and <laughs> I was like, is it the aliens? No, and um, then they would still add color back to the face, though, with well, a lot of... Well, we're about to get there. Okay. So thinking about how that was created to do that effect, um, I think about nowadays, we're still seeing these kind of extreme makeup trends coming back into fashion. Yeah. You, as a performer, and as just like a regular person, in your own say, use extreme makeup trends, I have to say. How do you achieve like a more porcelain like powder now? Like, What products are being used... And that kind of thing. Well, like right now, the makeup trend that you see most often that a lot of people are using is it's highlighting and contouring. Mm, yes. So it's very feminizing and very youthful to have like very bright kind of under eye triangles. It, that's true. It that's... creates kind of a face that like moves more forward. Yes. Less flat, a lot more rounded, a lot softer, a lot more supple. Uh-huh. Um, so you use like much lighter concealers okay. than your actual face. And what is a concealer actually? So what it's is just a, a highly concentrated foundation? Just something with like much more like rich in pigment. Which is interesting because then I think about again the foundation of an 18th century face. It's almost basically it's like just a all concealer. concealer. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I asked you that. I was just like, what is concealer? It's highly concentrated, have an oily pigmented. Fa- yeah, because like- what we've done is we've kind of taken. The idea of resurfacing the face and now are only applying it to specific targeted areas and then allowing natural skin finish to kind of peek through in like the more softer areas of the face. That way exactly. it creates like a slightly more enhanced natural look. So instead of just being like completely marble across the whole face, we soften out parts of the face that are maybe more sunken in, more like less flattering and then letting natural skin kind of peek through to create a little bit more realism. Exactly. Now then to go backwards again, because I'm going to jump back and forth with this creation of the face to go backwards again, we have the base of the face in the 18th century. You're going out to a party. It might be happening at Versailles or Fontainebleau, most likely Fontainebleau, because I feel like that's going to have the best party. And you want to feel cunt. So you're putting on this like heavy pigmented concealer, basically, yeah. all over the face. Paste. A full paste on the face. And now you... What I can imagine now, thinking about what we now do with the face, you're going to flatten the face now. Yeah, if it completely flattens the face. It completely flattens the face. Thinking about the idea of smaller features, of delicate features, is this something that's going to create that effect when flattening the face completely? No, when you flatten the face, you lose a lot of of the the more pointed, uh, kind of soft, rounded, bubbly features that are celebrated in, like, female faces. Yes. Um, So that's then when you see... People, they're like, okay, well, I have created this, this blank, poreless, <laughs> plastic canvas. I can't breathe because <laughs> they can't breathe. Can't open my mouth can't because open my it's mouth. gonna crack. <laughs> like, 
Um, so that's then that's when you see people starting to introduce color into the face because it, it adds dimension again. It pulls the, the, the more prominent, higher features, the cheekbones, uh, the tip of the nose, um, kind of the way the Cupid's bow kind of comes out mm-hmm. off of the face. Like mm-hmm. you start to see color added to those specific areas that are then going to flatten the face and then kind of stretch it back out and create only the highest points in the most feminine features. And so I'm so glad you said that because it goes, now I'm going into how they did the contour and that was with color. You get into a full white face, how do you contour? Now they contour with color. Um, Usually done from things like dried beetle husks, um, mixed with like a little bit of oil again, and then just applied actually very heavily onto the face and rubbed into a circular motion around onto onto the cheeks. Ray... Just right under the cheekbone line. Yeah, and then so then that creates kind of that like like fat deposit in in the cheeks that looks very like youthful, youthful doll like. Yeah, and um, what again? Um, it's Rebecca Pritchard. Butchard. I need to look up this woman's name so I don't keep butchering her name because I feel like one day she's gonna listen to this show and be like, if they don't get my damn name right, uh, I think it's Rebecca Butchard. And she is a fashion historian um, on the BBC, or not on the BBC, um, or um, Amanda Bachard, something like that. Girl, let me find out what this woman's name is. She is a fashion historian on... This person who exists. (laughs) Whatever the fuck her name is. Amber Bachard. Sorry, Amber. Maybe that's why, because I hate the name Amber, and I try to get it out of my mind. But she That's does, right. Fuck all the Ambers listening. But she does not. She does not strike you as an American Amber. She's a British Amber. It's totally different. Oh, okay. She's absolutely amazing, and she has really great uh, fashion history shows on um, British television. And she does these tutorials on like Victorian makeup and then the 18th century makeup, which I really oh, love. Really and what I really noticed that was really interesting about what we we're talking about creating that contour, it does create that doll-like face. It also, once they did the contour, then it would be the lip. And what they would do with the lip again is that they would lightly go on the inside of the lip and go out from there. Yeah. So what it created was this idea of almost biting your lip with like a little bit of blood and then having this like fuck me like look to yourself it was it was it's like all all pouty and just like pouty yeah. and just like ready and and like aroused and it always interest it always brings me back to like the original idea of makeup um was that it accentuated the i the accentuated the most sensual parts of the face. face it accentuated the moment of arousal and so yeah, that's why we blush and and contour yeah. and the eyes get a little bit darker because it creates a more of a doughy eyed effect around like the yeah that that uh, that passion that interest in it, someone that eye contact is kind of simulated by beadier eyes exactly yeah. exactly and so the the 18th century look after they did the whole makeup tutorial I was just like wow you look really fucking horny. Like, and it was it like it really made that person like really ready and ready to go and yeah. like take they look me flushed. Now. They look flush. They yeah. look like absolutely... they had already just had sex. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Like a just had. No, sex I was moment. reading because um, we always talk about the face makeup, uh, especially from the Elizabethan era. Um, but I was reading about the eye makeup specifically done during that era and like the the way they would pluck the eyebrows into complete art like not an arch the way we think of an arch where it like kind of starts at the outside of the iris just that completely rounded kind of like 
McDonald's M eyebrow because <laughs> it makes the it makes the, the eyelid look more rounded and higher. And yes. then they would put Belladonna in their eyeballs. Balls. Yes, I was just okay. So <laughs> you were like you were right there with me. I, I was just like, what the about the eyes. So part of. 18th century makeup was about a big fact about 18th century makeup that people must understand because nowadays we accentuate, we do an extreme, we recreate, we recontour the face. 18th century makeup was about covering up a lot, which is why that alabaster skin foundation was really important. Why the heavy cheeks... Created an appearance of cleanliness. It created an appearance of cleanliness and healthy. Yeah, and health. and health. And healthy living, which a lot of people suffered from. So... Once you got the full face on, um, you did, you, then you start doing covering up. And uh, this is more of an early 1700s, late 1600s thing, but you had the beauty marks and the beauty covers. And those would cover up pock marks, scars, things like that, which we now associate with beauty. That's what they were there for. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, yeah. You can have a full face of those bitches and be like, no, okay, I was she's a syphilitic whore. And like, especially <laughs> in, the, in the height of it in like Paris and stuff. They, uh, they, it was like sticker sheets. Yeah, sticker sheets. And oh, they were yeah, yeah. All different shapes. I saw an old advertisement for one. Yeah, they're really interesting. And she just looked like a fucking Xanax SoundCloud rapper. It's yeah. <laughs> like the craziest face tattoos. She had like stars and shit and swirls. And I was like, yo, Lil Peep, what are you doing? doing? What are you doing? <laughs> so you have you seen the favorite? Yes, the oh God. Um, the favorite oh God, is so I the favorite is so good with costuming because the costume director really strips down a lot of the color and things like that, but keeps the silhouette. She actually does specifically the costuming in black and white to match the floors um, of Carlton, not Carlton House, one of the main like Tudor restoration houses back at that time because they were black and white floors. Yeah, and so a lot of the costuming is in black and white, but you have to notice the makeup because the men are the showpieces in that part of There's it. A lot of peacocking going a on. A lot of peacocking. It was for reason because the men were actually the background for that movie it was a very female heavy female forward movie which we obviously saw if you've seen the movie um it's about queen anne the life of in the period of queen anne where she had two favorites and they were vying for each other they're actually cousins and they were really fucking crazy and it's so fucking amazing um it really went down girl it really went down but the men had a lot you saw the beauty marks in the men you see a lot of that on the men at one point you see um mary the youngest cousin who comes played by um What's her face? Um, not Rachel Weiss. Emma Stone. Emma Stone. And she actually has some of the beauty marks on with this crazy wild makeup yeah. on. And it's just so crazy to think like, you know, we glaze over history so much. But, like, really think about what people really fucking look like back then. Like, we think that we look crazy now, girl. Yeah, no. I remember one of the first times that you see kind of historical people not in a painting or a photograph uh-huh and i was like i think it was like 12 or something we were at the madame tussauds in new york city and they have the whole historical section it's not like celebrities it's like actual historical figures yeah and you're like walking through and you're like why did everyone in, why was everyone in the past so fucking ugly <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like they have the most like brutal features well that was the inbreeding <laughs> That was that was the genetics. Everyone has an underbite. Everyone has an underbite. That's because everyone came from the same dad. Like, 
<laughs> that was the problem with history. This is why I love, and so this is, you're getting to the point, why, one of the reasons why I love talking about history, I love teaching history, I love talking about subjects like this, because it gives you a sense of really how people lived. Yeah. You know, the historical figures be damned, sometimes the political moves be damned. It's like, how does it really affect people? Yeah, what was really going on? What was really going on back then? And like seeing what fashion was, go- was doing back then. I mean, even nowadays, fashion comes out of necessity. We're in a period now of global warming where we don't really have seasons anymore with fashion. So collections, now fashion designers, have to design coats and fur coats with like chiffon dresses and shorts in one collection. Yeah. Because we don't have seasons because we have to respond to the changing climate. Also, the markets are becoming more global. The so markets are becoming more global. So you're marketing the same line to people who are in regions where it is you know, more temperate or regions where it is more hot or... Exactly. And so... And also, even with political things, like, you know, you know, sorry to say and always mention, you know, Voldemort, but, you know, with the whole idea of the MAGA hat and wearing red hats. I s- get, I fucking break my neck whiplash every time I see you someone see in a someone red hat. You see someone wearing a red hat and, like, and like oh, sh- yeah. it's a Nationals hat. It Anna, is, calm down. Stop, I don't, don't fight this baseball fan. Literally, <laughs> this guy walked into this restaurant the other day and he had a red hat and his hand was just like, is this a, oh, okay, it's a Nationals No, hat. yeah. I, okay, I think okay. it's really brave that people still wear red hats. I'm, I'm shocked. I, I mean, I don't wear red hats. I'll wear a red turban, but, like... You know, like, because I love the color I mean, red. I read, like, a red cap. Yeah. Like, like, if you're wearing, like, a beret, I'm obviously not thinking you're a fucking Trump supporter. Well, I think you're in Handmaid's Tale, but that's a whole different thing. That's the, that's the next phase of their plan. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I can't wait till everyone pulls the bonnets back out. Oh, girl, the bonnets. The bonnets. Um, but it is... you. This period in time is a time of a lot of, of, a lot of political... I don't want to say strike a a lot of political change, pardon me, a lot of political change. Um, From the 1700s into the, from the early 1700s to the 1790s, we're seeing a complete shift in terms of the idea of who has power, who doesn't have power. Our idea of the power coming out of the church's hands, the church and the church and the royal families being one thing that defines everyone else's life, to political power being voted on by the people. Yeah. The age of enlightenment is coming in. And so, Fashion is changing and who holds fashion is changing because honestly, who holds the power of aesthetics really does hold a lot of power globally. Yeah. You affect everybody because with then that. You control the market and you have the money and you have the power. Yes. If you are dictating what people are purchasing. Yes. Northern Korea, beauty, K-pop. <laughs> <laughs> Big mood. <laughs> Come on, sheet mask. Come on, sheet mask. And, polit- and political influence. Um, but it's Communism true, and face serums. <laughs> For everybody. Um, but, like, but, it's, but it is true. And so with this rise and this change, you're also seeing the change in like makeup aesthetics. So by the 1790s, with the backlash to the French Ancien Regime, um, to royal and aristocratic families really kind of deciding on people's lives with no regard and living extravagant lifestyles and displaying these extravagant lifestyles, you see a complete backlash to makeup and to beauty and the, and the whole industry. Because you don't want to be associated with the class that we hate right now. Exactly. And the whole industry of extravagant French beauty, which was the industry of fashion at the time, completely collapsed on itself by this period. And you go into people looking towards the English way of dressing. And by this point, the English have reclaimed this life of back to nature and looking natural and being natural. And so all beauty goes back into this whole 
natural Bobby Brown moment. Yeah. For like a good 40 years. And actually, honestly, a good hun- next 100 years. Yeah, mess because, me with that shit. Yeah. And, but I will say even still, though, one of my favorite periods, which we will talk about next, which we will talk about next week, is the Regency period. Because that is, a, that, is that transition period between super extravagance to streamlining. Yeah. And to maintaining a look that is palatable by the masses and mass marketing aesthetics to people and mass marketing aesthetics to a new burgeoning class and a new political landscape. So ladies and gentlemen, people of all gender identities, thank you so much for joining us. That was our episode. Remember to follow us on the beauty RKO on Instagram. You can also follow us on Facebook under the beauty RKO. Um, I'm going to post more pictures like I've been doing all week. We're going to post some fashion plates. Yeah. I should post some fashion plates. Let everyone see what they look like. Um, I had a lovely fan that listened to the show last week on Victorian beauty. And I don't want to say their name just because they didn't give me permission, but they uh, DM'd me under the beauty RKO to you know, even discuss they want to use some of the show for reference in their paper, which I'm very excited about for college. And they want to use some of our references. So I'm definitely going to discuss with them. But people, if you ever want to discuss history with me, I'm always all about it. Please DM me if you have any facts that you want us to talk about, um, anything that you've learned, that you've picked up. Um, please like yeah. share the information with us because I want to build a platform where everyone is talking about history and sharing these stories. Because please talk to her about history so <laughs> I can cook in peace. <laughs> but it's, it, I mean, like it, it shows us a lot about who we are as people, what our roots are, and the fact that none of us have ever, have never not been a part of history. Oh, absolutely. We are all people we are all we all come from people that have made the world what it is today which is a good and scary thing to think about but it also gives us a lot of power to know where we can go to so thank you for joining us it's the beauty archeo your fashion history comedy podcast thank you anna latour for joining us thanks for having me and we'll me. talk to you next week <laughs> <laughs>